What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. At WrestlingTWT, if you love pro wrestling, if you love sports entertainment, you've come to the right place. It's me, Jonathan Hood, talking wrestling. All I ever ask is for you to tell people that Jonathan Hood talks wrestling, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, and download that podcast. And especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google, make sure that you leave five stars in a review. Just tell people about Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday and um, let people know that you're enjoying the podcasts and the information that we're giving you right here on TWT. Well... I just got through watching AEW Dynamite from the James L. Knight Center in Miami, Florida. And as an old school wrestling fan, I remember the James L. Knight Center from the NWA. The Clash of Champions 2 took place in that same building when the horsemen turned on Lex Luger. Jim Ross was out there uh, as the limo pulled up and there was Lex Luger be- having his tuxedo and his suit being torn off at that same building, the James L. Knight Center, back in 1988. So I found out that AEW is going to be there. I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. That's history there. And so there was AEW in Miami. So I found this card interesting. It's it's interesting that not only AEW, but also NXT, names their regular shows something, right? Like for AEW, this was the Road Rager. NXT had the Great American Bash. So even though these are not pay-per-views, they have these big names, right? which I admire, by the way, because it stands out more than just a regular AEW Dynamite. And by no means was Road Rager just a regular Dynamite because it was important for AEW to go back on the road. They had been in Jacksonville for so long, and the first company to jump into a different building, different atmosphere uh, since WrestleMania was AEW going to Miami. And I thought that was cool. It was a hot crowd. It's what I expect from AEW fans. So I was not surprised that at the James L. Knight Center, people were going at it in Miami. The fans were on top of each other and enjoying this event. So this card was interesting because it provided the surprises that you expect from AEW, right? Starts with a South Beach strap match, and I've seen a lot of strap matches. This was not stellar by any stretch of the imagination. Cody Rhodes against QT Marshall. So I thought this was a decent matchup, this South Beach strap match. However, it was sloppy in some ways, and it was a little bit of a struggle, which I don't mind, by the way. It doesn't have to be ballet in there. I don't expect that. But I watched this, and you compare this to other strap matches, it does not compare. My issue with this whole feud is that QT Marshall does not have enough heat on him for me to hate him. Yes, there's a struggle between Cody Rhodes and his group and QT Marshall and his group, but there's just not enough heat for me to hate QT Marshall. I don't hear enough from him to really tell everybody his true thoughts on Cody Rhodes. There's been a promo here and there. But there hasn't been enough built where there's bad blood between the two that would warrant a strap match. Clearly, these two factions and Cody and, and uh, QT don't like each other. But there's a not enough on QT Marshall to say that's a heel and Cody's a babyface. The other thing I think about, too, is that 
Cody will in all interviews will say, Yo, there's no baby faces, there's no heels, it's all depends on what the fans think. Uh, there's a reason why Cody Rhodes was introduced first in the first match in front of a live crowd. He wants that attention. Uh, he wants to be the American dream. He realizes that he can never be Dusty Rhodes, but the point is is that he wants that fanfare. And so, of course, his match went first. But, I mean, it was fine. I just think that I need to know more about QT Marshall. And there should be more heat on him if he's a heel. Clearly, he's against the Rhodes family. So clearly, that would make Marshall and his group the heel faction. Of course, they don't call it that, but that's exactly what it is. So, you know, Cody Rhodes wins that one. So then you move forward, and you hear Don Callis and Kenny Omega give a history lesson. And then here comes a Hangman Page, right? So <clears throat> I, I, um, I like Don Callis and Omega being together. Because if it's go-away heat for you, good. Because that's what they're there for. <laughs> that's what they're there for. They're there for you to hate them, right? And I saw the fans in Miami telling Callis that he got fired. Callis says real men don't quit. They get fired. And then begins a history lesson taking people down memory lane. Of course, they're talking about how you know, Callis got fired by Impact Wrestling. Which is amazing, by the way, that some of the fans are watching Impact Rusty enough to know that Callis got fired off of that show. I think that was impressive. Um, but just the fans over the top saying, we want Hangman. That's what you want, man. That felt old school to me. That means that people in Miami are following the storylines. You can hear fans saying, we want Hangman. Because they know from week to week, Hangman Page is the next guy that Omega is going to take on for the championship. And I just thought that was great. Um, Evil Uno with an opportunity to actually have... So a nice face-to-face with Callus and with uh, Omega. I think that that was good for him uh, because you can see the Dark Order completely babyfaces now right behind uh, the guy that gives you cowboy shit, and that is Hangman Page. So I thought that was a good piece of business there. It just ramps up that matchup whenever it's going to take place, maybe here in Chicago, maybe not. Uh, maybe it's going to be on television, maybe not. We'll see. Um, the sit-down with Ethan Page and Darby Allen. You need more of this in wrestling to explain why the match that they're going to have is important. I know, you know, maybe I'm just old school, but I do believe in being able to have interviews and promos to promote and to make fans excited about a matchup. There's going to be a coffin match between Ethan Page and Darby Allen. And I like the idea that Jim Ross was there and doing the interview. That is good. That's good for both guys. As Jim Ross is sitting there and he's like, I don't know about this and all that. And just kind of going deep and kind of shooting about Ethan Page and how long it took him to get to AEW or a promotion like AEW 12 years where Darby Allen was able to cut the corners and get there right away. I think the coffin match is a good idea and I like the story behind it because it's not just a match. I like that there was a story and Jim Ross was there to kind of navigate through it. So that was cool. The trios match between FTR and Wardlow against Jake Hager as well as Santana and Ortiz. Well, I mean, it's what you expected, right? Uh, I liked that these. this is a great matchup here. Or FTR and Wardlow. I like to see FTR just in tag team matches alone, but I know they're in this war with the other side, so I understand that. 
But uh, FTR and Wardlow come up with the victory there. It just adds more heat to them. And at some point, the inner circle will get their comeuppance. I like it. You know, I like that there was a six-man tag team matchup and is just going to move that whole kind of battle moving forward. Uh, and I like that from FTR, Wardlow, and the other group. Um, moving on, is it just me or am I just looking forward to the IG... IWGP Television Championship where it's John Moxley taking on one of the Good Brothers. I think that that's going to be a really good match with Carl Anderson. I think Carl Anderson is an excellent wrestler. We just don't see enough of him because he's marred in that tag team. I, you know, The Good Brothers, I, I'm not the biggest fan of those two. Probably was a little bit more fan in New Japan, but not a necessarily a big fan here in AEW. Um, but it's going to be good to see Carl Anderson in singles competition because I know he can go. And against John Moxley, that should be a really good matchup. How about the Chris Jericho uh, and uh, <laughs> MJF face-to-face? So first of all, there was some fan that's trying to jump in the ring. I think he was trying to attack MJF. I'm not sure, but a fan tried to get into the ring. He was cut off. And the camera only got a little bit of that, not a lot of that. So I'm glad that... That's kind of part of the heat where a fan wanted to get into the ring. Um, So I think that that was good. But I just like the back and forth between MJF and Jericho. And the stipulation for MJF on Jericho is like, yeah, you got to beat like four guys before you can get to me. And once we do wrestle, that'll be the end of that. I like that. Jericho's going to sign that contract, and he did. But MJF had his stipulations of, hey, You've got to be able to go through wrestlers of his choice, and then you can get to me. And I, I like that. I thought, like the Britt Baker uh, promo, it's uh, what people expect now because her signature DMD at the end of the promo was really good. She'll be taking on Nyla Rose. Uh, so I saw Andrade. Andrade, the former WWE superstar against Matt Seidel. And, um, you know... I like Andrade. He needs to win a lot more matches for me to believe that he's completely over in AEW. In the WWE, there was times where I liked him, and there's sometimes he just was not, he's kind of going through the motions, I thought. And that's probably because of the booking of the WWE. I want to see if there's another gear in, Andre's, in Andrade's game. Matt Seidel is a terrific opponent for him, and that's a stepping stone opponent to get to another level. I'd like to see where AEW is going to take Andrade in like the next year. Like July of 2022, will, will he still be in the middle of the card? Will he be a serious contender for the AEW championship? Uh, I look forward to that. I thought they had a really good matchup there. Um, and then, so all of a sudden... There is Arn Anderson standing in the ring and he wanted to say something. And I don't know what he was trying to, was going to say. But he had some announcement that it goes black. And this it happened a couple times in the contest. Just completely, you know, completely stealing from ECW in the past where you turn the lights on and turn the lights off, turn the lights on, and all of a sudden something happens, right? Lights go out in Miami. And then here is Aleister Black. And the guy formerly knows Aleister Black. And he's standing in the ring, and he kicks Arn Anderson, and then he gives it to Cody Rhodes as well. So we have a new guy here, Malachi Black, apparently is going to be his name. Or it's Tommy End. You know, you watch the broadcast, and Excalibur says, Oh, it's, 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 
you know, it's Tommy End. And Jim Ross goes along with it. It's Tommy End. Tommy End. And then there's another name comes up. Oh, it's Malachi Black. He's Malachi Black. Well, which which is he? I mean, say for instance, you're not a WWE fan. You don't know who that is. And he's called two names at the same time. I'm like, that's just piss poor announcing. Just what is this guy going to be? Is he just a mystery man? You find out in a couple weeks what his name is. Is he Tommy End? Is he Malachi? He does that kick and he's called two different names. So what is his name? It's Tommy End. Tommy End. Nope. It's Malachi Black. <laughs> so what is he? Right? So it was good to see him because, and by the way, is it me or, or did he look smaller in that black outfit? When we saw him in the WWE, he just looked like a massive wrestler. But in the, all that black, he looked smaller, at least on my TV. We'll see what he looks like in his wrestling gear once he's in AEW. Uh, is this, I literally like Ricky Starks. I'm a Ricky Starks fan. Um, I liked him in the NWA, and I know he started off as a baby face, I want to say, that he turned heel, but that guy is 100% heel. And maybe I'm the only one that sees this, but there could be a lot more out of this faction from Taz, right? Out of this faction from Taz, it should be a lot stronger. Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, you take a look at Taz. Taz is one of the best. I mean, Taz may not be my favorite color analyst, but Taz is terrific in as a manager and a mouthpiece for his group. And um, I just think that they're getting the short shrift. They look kind of like clowns sometimes as they're doing some infighting. The infight they should be fighting others in AEW. They should be having championship. You know, but there's very few championships in AEW. But the point is, though, is that more than an FTW championship, they should be able to have other championships because I think that that's a good faction. I think it's underrated. Hopefully, it grows. If it breaks up, then it's like, well, what? What was the whole point of that? But I think Taz as a manager, he, I think he resonates a lot more than Arn, than Jake Roberts, than Vicky Guerrero. I think. Taz, and again, I've never been the biggest fan of him as a commentator, but in this role as a manager, yep, it works for me. I like it. Uh, saw Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander against the Blade and the Bunny. Um, I see that uh, Chris Statlander started to take some of Orange Cassidy's gimmick, the glasses, as well as the uh, the jacket. I like it. It's you know, it's a good middle of the card deal. Yeah, uh, you know the blade and the bunny. You know, I I like those. I I like the blade. It's just that you know I love. I always like the entrance of the butcher, the blade, and the bunny. It's just when they get in the ring, it just looks like shit. <laughs> that's a problem. They should be a lot further along. But that's a you know a nice you know nice little let me up match as they say. So I like that. I'm still tripping on the whole Alistair Black returning though. Boy, they go to a different arena, they get live, and then bam, they give you something special. I really like that. Malachi Black will be the name. Or Tommy End. Whatever. So I, I like that. Um, So moving forward, this whole thing with Jorge Masvidal, Amanda Nunez, and Dan Lambert. This was so out of place, it was... Really interesting. It wasn't bad. It was just interesting. Dan Lambert cuts this great promo. Did you hear this promo? All right, guys. Very happy to be joined. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When AEW decided to come to Miami, the home of American top team, 
Tony Khan called and asked if the BMF champion Jorge Masvidal and the two-division UFC champion and greatest female fighter of all time, Amanda Nunez, would make an appearance. But nobody said anything about doing an interview or endorsing this show. In fact, as an old-school professional wrestling fan, I was skeptical of even coming to this place in the first place. And not because I'm a busy guy running the largest and most successful mixed martial arts gym in the history of this planet, or because I got better things to do this week, like head out to Las Vegas and see my guy Dustin Poirier knock out Conor McGregor again. It was much more simple than that. I was skeptical about coming for one reason and one reason only, and that reason is AEW sucks. Tony for his offer, but said if I wanted to enjoy an evening of professional wrestling, I'd have to break out the old VHS, put in some tapes of championship wrestling from Florida, 1970s and 80s, and sit back and watch Gordon Soley call some matches a real wrestler. Guys like Eddie Graham and Johnny Valentine. I'd watch Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk, Harley Race, and Jack Briscoe tear up a wrestling ring. I'd probably get through the Barry Wyndham Rick Root era, but at that point, I'd have to turn it off because the sad truth is professional wrestling's gone nowhere but downhill since the late 1990s, and this product is unwatchable. But Tony said, hey, no, you're wrong. He said AEW is doing it the right way. He said, we have a locker room full of men and women representing every genre of professional wrestling from luchador to Japanese strong style. we got a mix of veterans like Christian Cage and Jericho to go along with the greatest up-and-coming talent in the world like Sammy Guevara and Darby Allin. And then he got this big smile on his face and he said, best of all, man, it's our fan base. It's like a giant family of hardcores coming together to celebrate a new era of professional wrestling. He said, you got to come to our show and see our fans get on their feet and chant AEW. Okay. Okay, that sounded pretty good to me. Maybe I was wrong, so here I am, 90 minutes into the show, and the lesson learned is always trust your instincts. Hey, hey, big fella, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Murder Hawk monster, Lance Archer's hurt in the hole. A clean forearm shot right to the face. And he just knocked out Dan Lambert of American Top Team. Lambert doesn't know where he is, but I know where he's going. He's going for a ride on the blackout, courtesy of Lance Archer. Lance Archer, man down and man that showed no respect for AEWR's fans. So Dan Lambert takes a bump, and that was just so out of place. Like, like he just came out of nowhere. <laughs> it was kind of a cross promotion for UFC 264, but yet Lambert, who was an old school wrestling fan, and talking about his guy, Dustin Poirier, is going to knock out Conor McGregor. And it just kind of came out of nowhere. 
That's just, well, you know, I liked it. I liked it because it's just like, what? This guy is talking about Barry Windham and Rick Rude. He's up, he's right up my alley. You know, that tickles my fancy. And, you know, he talks about Eddie Graham and like Dusty Rose. I'm like, okay, he is an old school wrestling fan. Break it out the VHS, he said. I think that was funny. It just came out of nowhere. It just, okay. And then you get to the AW World Tag Team title fight. It was Street Fight. Penta and Eddie Kingston against the Young Bucks. Well, I liked what I saw um, because it's it's what you expect, right? It's going to be just all these tables and it's going to be chairs and even thumbtacks. Do you need that on TNT? Boy, I would just imagine thumbtacks like in the year 2000, 1999, when they had standards and practices in the office in the at the arena at for TNT back in the Nitro days, there's no way they would allow that violence or that that kind of violence on Nitro like ninety nine two thousand, which ultimately killed the company. But in this iteration of Turner and to see thumbtacks on a regular show, they pull well they pull out the kitchen sink and the thumbtacks. There was bloody noses. There was. Uh, some pain there with those thumbtacks and the young bucks found a way to continue to stay AW tag team champions. Now, remember the week before the young bucks lost for the first time in like 300 days they lost. So that way it Penta and, uh, Eddie Kingston could be number one contenders, Boy, it was something, man. But you know, once again, there's so much outside interference See, this is when you have go-away heat, when you have Gallows and Anderson continuing to interfere in matches. When you have Kazarian out there, just it's almost too much to me. It's so much of the interference on the outside. There's that you can do that one time, but when you see it so often in AEW. It's just like, oh God, man, can we, can we? Let me just get a clean finish. Let it be wild, but let me get a clean finish out of something, right? Let the heels cheat so they can have more heat. You don't need outside interference all the time. That's the thing that bugged me about this. If you're going to be have this crazy matchup, you don't need outside interference. You just need more weapons. You need more chicanery. You need more heat. That's what you need. It's enough for the Young Bucks to dress like they do because you know the Internet's melting every time that they wear something weird or their, their promos or whatever because they want to be smarmy heels. That's fine. I mean, um, the Young Bucks have been doing this for generations. They've always wanted to be uh, the hybrid of DX in the NWO. That's why I, they've never gotten over with me 100% as far as, their in, as far as their demeanor. Yeah, they've had some great matches for Young Buck matches. You see, there's there's the rub. Like, there are Young Buck fans are listening to this podcast right now. Say, what do you mean they're the greatest? It's like, well, yeah, for a Young Bucks match. There's a difference, right? There, it's only this. The speed only is ten when it comes to young bucks. It's never five. It's never three. It's never eight. It's always at ten. It's their kind of match, right? And it's like a like Sabu. Sabu only had one kind of match. He went to Raw, and he still tried to have his match, and that didn't work out very well, did it? Away from ECW. Uh, to me, young bucks have one type of matchup. Uh, and it's at their speed, and it's them being in the ring as if they're doing a, a triple A uh, type of special, uh, where they're in Mexico and they're in the ring all the time. Yeah, they you know they have great moves, but they're not great, great, great tag team wrestlers to me. 
Uh, and I don't need it to be like the slow down 1970s style, but there has to be some kind of balance of showing what you can do. So, you know, this matchup is perfect for the Young Bucks. Uh, they've done it in a lot of different ways, uh, but again, it's usually at their speed. And so I I thought that, that for an ending for this show here on Dynamite, I thought it was great. And Jim Ross closed the show and said, good night, everybody. Did not say it was WWE. Didn't say it's AEW. Just said good night, everybody, <laughs> for our entire crew, which is the safe way to go. He had a good night for the most part. There was a half and half suplex, and he said half and half like Arnold Palmer, like the drink all Arnold Palmer. I don't know anybody uh, under 50 that got that joke, <laughs> but that's what he said in the broadcast. So anyway. So I, I wanted to just stop here and just tell you that Dynamite was interesting. And I we celebrate Dynamite because they're the first on the road with their regular show. Uh, as Thunder and Raw are still in the Thunderdome, they'll be out soon. And as uh, AEW still is in the CWC Center, uh, here is AEW saying we're going to bust out in Miami. And they're going to start traveling. They're going to be in Dallas. They're going to be in Chicago before you know it. So good for them. Uh, so at least they're out and the fans, it picked up where we were, gosh, what was it? 15, 16 months ago well, on the other side of the pandemic where AEW was traveling. They had a lot of big plans to go northeast and to go more in the south and just kind of just get their popularity going. You know, I, I'll, I'll just end this by saying this, that when you're a new company like AEW, it's not easy to just say, here's our wrestling. We're just going to drop it in the middle of America and be able to draw 25,000 people. Yes, they were able to do the impossible, right? To do what they did in Chicago by selling out in less than 30 minutes and to be able to do something similar in Las Vegas. And I think that's all great. But there's other markets where they got to prove themselves. And that takes time. I know that everybody wants to see, you know, either AEW fail or have this or succeed greater than Raw, greater than SmackDown, greater than any wrestling show on the planet. But it takes time. And I know that no one wants to hear that because either you're for AEW or against it. But you just can't say, here's a new company that we're starting. And so we expect 20,000 fans in each each building. And I we expect a four rating every it's. It takes time. Wrestling is down. And wrestling is going to be down because it's the summertime, too. I want to point that out as well. I'm just reading everything that you may be reading on social media regarding ratings. It's the summer, man. It's the summer. It's not the late 80s where the Great American Bash Tour is going from city to city. And I was watching, you know, as a kid, watching wrestling. It's not the same. We are so busy as a society that we get a chance to DVR. If we catch it up with it in seven days, then they can get a rating. If we let it pass for seven days, and sometimes I do that, man, it's, they don't get the rating. But it's the summertime. Now you got the Olympics. You got the NBA Finals. There's so many things going on. Can we just enjoy what's going on? People just hand-wring so much about the ratings. Ratings don't matter as much as they once did even 10 years ago. We're never going to go back to the Monday Night Wars. We're never going to go back to numbers where you can break it down in granular detail on these Conrad Thompson, Brian Last podcasts. Those are not going to happen. What's going to happen is, is that we're going to see how this action is able. How, if, if, I guess the biggest thing for me is which company tells a greater story? 
right? Which company can be able to slow down enough to be able to say, our main event's better than your main event, and here's why, and here's the backstory for me to be absolutely into it. Here's our titles on the line, or here's our biggest uh, rivalry match. Here's why it matters. MJF and Jericho is a perfect example of this, right? Yeah, they've gone back and forth, and yeah, I stopped watching for a while because they were doing a dance routine, but now it comes down to this, right? So who can tell a greater story? That's what it comes down to. I told you before during AEW uh, podcast, I talked about Triple H a couple of podcasts ago. Here's the key. Which company can tell a story? You can put a match in the ring and they can do 100 flips. That doesn't do anything for me at all. It doesn't do anything for me. It might do something for you, but it doesn't do anything for me. What's the story? Why are these two wrestling besides just having a match in the ring? Why does it matter? Right? And then show me the match in the ring. That's why I care about that. I think we're getting close to that with Omega and with... um, and what we're seeing here with that matchup, you know, we're going to find out whether or not Omega can, can can continue to hold on to his championship or not. And uh, because I think the last couple of matches I've seen him in is pretty good. I don't know if he's 100% or not, and hopefully he will be by the time we get to Labor Day. But Kenny Omega is a, is a great champion for AEW. And I think that that's uh, I think that's cool, but I want to find out when his in his match comes out, will he be able to keep his championship? That's the big question mark. And how good will he be? I mean, people are calling for Hangman. They want to see Adam Page be able to succeed. Now, let's see if Adam Page's time is now, or does he have to wait? Those are stories I need answered. So congratulations, AEW. You got on the road in Miami, and the crowd was hot, just like it was in Jacksonville and it was in some of the places they've been on the road. So I appreciate your support for TWT. Got another podcast coming your way as we look back at the career of the Patriot who just passed away. Also, Chris Youngblood just passed away as well, part of the Youngblood brothers. Uh, We will review their uh, careers uh, coming up. Uh, on TWT. As always, I appreciate your support. Leave five stars. Leave a review. Let people know that John the Hood Talks Wrestling Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. If you love professional wrestling, you love sports entertainment, you come to the right place. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. <laughs>